I read you. Where are you? Flying blind on a rocket cycle. Flying blind on a rocket cycle? And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. At the beginning, when you try the first time the 500, Fourth is Sylvain Gintoli. Sylvain taking a second out of Tony Elias in one lap with five to go. Permission to become a complete fan. Uh, no, I am your mate. <laughs> Sorry. Go on, Sylvain. Rostrum boy. I hope you're up early in Boston. Come on, Caroline. I'm sure you can oh, travel hard enough. Put the bottle down. It's too early. Racing it. Life. Anything that happened before or after. Just waiting. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show of record, the show that matters, and the show that puts you on pole position for the news, the commentary, and the opinion in the world of motorcycle road racing. Yes, you are now back, finally, for episode number 79. It is the Jamie Worthington edition of the show. And, uh,. I do apologize for taking the last month off from the show, but it's been uh, absolutely crazy uh, between traveling for some video shoot stuff and uh, working the play- Pistons playoff stuff. I just literally have had no time, and then this past week, I've been sick with this combination of cold sinus infection bullshit. Uh, on top of that, I did record a show on Thursday. I'm re-recording the show now on Saturday because, as uh, Probably about a dozen of you who were so kind to email in, and I, and I do appreciate you letting me know this. Uh, after the intro, there was nothing. There was 24 megs of nothing. So, uh, actually, there was 24 megs of quite a bit, and I've tried to remember everything I've said as we re-record the show here on a Saturday afternoon. So, let's uh, kick it off and uh, jump right into it. Of course, the email, as always, rumblestripradio at gmail.com. You're more than welcome to uh, send your comments, your feedback, uh, just say hi and your well wishes, uh, which many of you have done over the past month and um, too uh, too numerous to go through all of them, uh, of all of you that have, but to just say it's it's been much appreciated, uh, including some of you who are like, uh, who I, I wish I could remember who sent this to me now, but it was like uh, literally... I got home from working the piston last Pistons game, and there's already an email waiting for me. It's like your Pistons fucking lost. Record a goddamn podcast. Well, maybe not quite that bad, but pretty close. Uh, so that was much appreciated. Um, so yeah, email please uh, send all feedback. You can always uh, leave comments also on the website www.rumblestripradio.com. And again, there's a comment section underneath there where you can find all the show notes links. Uh, in there. Uh, also, that's where you can uh, donate to the show as well. There is a uh, link that says donate up in the uh, upper right corner. Actually, it's kind of a gold little button. And if you'd like to donate to the show, yeah, you'd be uh, you'd be very happy if you would do so. I do want to thank all the people that did donate for the uh, MS bike ride uh, that uh, went off last weekend. And that was uh, very, very much appreciated. And, and thank you for doing so. And uh, um, reports from from Jay and Kristen is that uh, the the bike ride went uh, very well. They raised quite a bit of money for uh, for the MS uh, Society, and uh, very happy about that. Uh, for those of you who are on uh, some of the social media sites, such as say Twitter or Pounce, you are more than welcome to follow me over there as well. And I am at uh, either twitter.com forward slash rumblestrip or pounce.com forward slash rumblestrip, and. Um, Sometimes I post motorcycle stuff. Oftentimes I do not. Um, just some other stuff going on. But uh, I usually do post if I uh, put up a, a, you know, one of these shows. If you're not already subscribed through an RSS feed, or uh, doing something with uh, with a friend Johnny with uh, with Live Fast Racing, which yeah we're about three weeks behind or a month behind on doing the second of uh, of the trilogy of those two. So, uh, but uh, Mr. John Hall's had his own issues down uh, Chattanooga way anyway. So. Um, I guess the best thing to do is there's a bunch of news that's been going on and a bunch of rumors and stuff. 
so many sites and uh, a couple of the other podcasts have uh, probably covered all those. I'm like a month behind on all my podcasts, too. So um, let's just uh, hit on some of the highlights over the last month and, and a couple of things I want to touch on. I think last we spoke, uh, China was getting underway, and uh, obviously Jorge had had a huge crash there, busted up his ankles, and uh, really just soldiered through that race and, and finished on the podium at Le Mans. Uh, very, very remarkable performance uh, when a lot of people were questioning, well, should he even be riding? And and some of that questioning is, is legit because ever since that China crash, he's been, uh, I'm not say crashing his brains out, although he did uh, a bit of that uh, yesterday in uh, at Catalonia, I believe, although I haven't seen the, the latest reports, uh, that he's going to be held out of the uh, of, of the race weekend because of concussions basically he suffered a concussion um i i watched the friday uh free practice too not that long a couple hours ago and um you know they said that he he had probably been knocked out because he really wasn't aware of, of where he was and stuff like that so that's uh that's a huge indication that you had a concussion and then they're probably going to hold him out for for safety's sake um hopper had a i mean everyone was crashing there so hopper was questionable um, you know, uh, just have, it seemed like half, uh, uh, well, not half, but a third of the field had crashed. Tony Elias had some huge, uh, crash that pretty much destroyed his bike in, in the more for in, in FP1. But, um, you know, Lorenzo was, uh, looking good. I mean, cra- uh, what did he crash out? He crossed out, crashed out of Mugello, but he was kind of nowhere in Mugello was Toby and Julian were, were so, uh, Quick to point, well, he's quick to point out, but right to point out uh, um, that uh, that him crashing on lap six was I mean, maybe a bit of a blessing in, in some ways. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks like he won't be uh, racing this weekend, and and sort of that real good shot at maybe even winning a championship in your rookie years is not looking so good at this point. Um, the reemergence of Valentino Rossi is is welcomed by you know hordes of people. Uh, including Dorna, uh, as that uh, between Dorna, uh, between uh, uh, Valentino and Danny doing so well this year, I'm sure their ratings are, are back up more where they want them to be. Uh, many people have, have decided that uh, 2005 and, or, I'm sorry, 2006, 2007, that those years did not exist. Uh, we can just scratch those or right off uh, that the world is, uh, has come back to normal and Valentino is on top and the world is, uh, all is right with the world once again. You know, it, uh, obviously, it's always good to see uh, Valentino doing well. Uh, again, from a from a publicity standpoint, from a TV rating standpoint, just from an everything standpoint. I mean, he sort of uh, embodies the the championship. Uh, a lot of people were writing him off as being too old already. Uh, you know, he's on, he's not even thirty; he's twenty nine years old. And uh, well, he's been in the championship for fifteen years. La 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 la. I, I'm sorry, at twenty nine years old, you are really entering the prime of your riding career from between say 27 28 and about 33 34 years old that those are the prime riding years in your career because you you still probably have all of your speed and all of your bravery but then you have all the knowledge and intelligence and racecraft that you've learned over those years and you have maturity and that's just a combination that's usually pretty deadly in that range. So all those people like Valentino's time has passed. It's the kids' times now with, with Casey, with Danny, with, uh, with Jorge, uh, you know, some of the uh, next year with uh, Bautista coming up. Sorry, uh, Valentino's demise is uh, greatly overblown. And I think we'll be hearing uh, much more from the doctor uh, over the next several years. Uh, it strongly rumored that by Laguna he'll sign another two-year extension with Yamaha to stick around, and, and I think rightly so. He seems to uh, have gelled once again with that uh, with that whole crew. Uh, obviously, the big deal at uh, Le Mans the other week was uh, him tying uh, Angel Nieto for 90 overall Grand Prix wins. That was his 62nd Premier Class win. Um, so Giacomo Agostini was 68, obviously very much in sight for this year. Uh, 122 overall Grand Prix wins. Okay, that's going to be a couple years down the road at least. Uh, but uh, please do remember that 
Giacomo probably racked up 30 win, 30, 40 wins running in the 350 GP uh, on the MV when he would, uh, you know, it would be a bad race if he didn't lap the entire field. And that went on for a number of years. So he's sort of, you know, cherry picking that. But I suppose when uh, Count Augusta says, uh, uh, Giacomo, I pay you all this money. You go race my bike here. And Giacomo says, I like the money. I like the women. I need the money to pay for the women. Okay, I go race the 350. And it's not like back in that day that there was a, I mean, there was a difference between a 350 and a 500, right? Uh, but nowhere near the dramatic difference between, say, uh, a 250 GP bike and an 800 bike. So, Sorry, I'm going to be dragging a little bit here. I might not have some of the energy I normally do. And if it feels, if it feels down, I'm sorry, I just... I finally found some drugs this morning that have my head so that it's dried up uh, and I'm not loopy. So, But in, in the interim, I, it's killed all my energy and, well, part of my voice with it too. But uh, I'll take that trade off. Thank you very much. Let's see. What else are we going to talk about? We talk about Ducati uh, continuing with the exception of Casey to, to struggle. No one but Casey seems to be able to get a handle on this bike. I mean, last year the Dantine bikes were, I'm not going to say they weren't up, they, well, uh, Barros uh, uh, had a podium at Mugello. That was their only podium finish, but, you know, you, you generally saw them in the top ten. This year, they're they're at the back of the field again. Marco Melandri, you know, with the exception of that run in China where he got caught up with a group and just kind of forgot about what was going on and just rode the bike. Um, you know, he's at the tail end. Um it's a, it's a bit of a bad scene in a lot of ways for uh, for Ducati. I mean, yes, you have Casey up front, uh, and it says a lot about him. But sometimes you wonder if if Ducati has sort of slipped into a bit of an HRC thing, where HRC so designed a bike for Danny um, that no one else could really ride it. So I'm wondering if Ducati has, in some ways, engineered a bike for Casey so much that no one else can get it figured out. We'll see. Uh, the uh, After this, uh, after Catalonia here, most of the teams are sticking around for a couple days. Um, the Hondas are not running the pneumatic engine this weekend at Catalonia. However, Danny and Nikki will be testing it afterwards. Uh, the Ducatis are supposedly rolling out uh, the 2009 Ducati, which, you know, all anything from just a lot of carbon fiber to a complete carbon fiber chassis are the rumors. And Casey is supposedly going to ride that on Tuesday. You know, uh, the, the, the testing afterwards might be as much or more interesting than the race that we see uh, come come Sunday. I was uh, I was thinking before uh, Jorge crashed out that um, he would have a, a really good shot at winning this race. His injuries had pretty much healed, or you know he's in. Um, let's just say he's probably 80, 85, 90 percent healed up from. From the China injuries, he had shown good form, especially under, you know, extreme discomfort. Um, I thought, you know, closest, uh, well, maybe Valencia could be a little bit more of a home, uh, whatever. Um, but I don't know, sort of up in the air who I'm thinking is, has got a shot uh, to, win this, to win the race this weekend. Um, qualifying, I just finished downloading uh, the, the, the official qualifying, so... Uh, once we wrap up this podcast, I'll be checking that out. Um, I want to touch on um, on the British Superbike Series. If you are not downloading this from from a number of sites, including uh, uh, racing-underground.com, you need to go and start watching this series. In fact, go back and download um, the races up to this point because – um, if you if you just look if you aren't following the series and you just look at the points you're like what shaky burn he's like you know a million points out in front of everybody uh, how do you say this is a good series well shaky burn is in front for for two reasons one um, he's literally the best rider in the field I believe you know in, in my belief on <coughs> one of the if not the best bike um, but no but by no means a dominant bike and I'll explain why in a minute um, through no fault of his own. Uh, his main competitors, which would be uh, his teammate Leon Camier, uh, Leon Haslam, uh, Cal Crutchlow, have all had issues with either crashing, um, you know, running off track, hurting themselves, just, you know, kind of through no fault of, of Shakey's 
other everyone else is kind of taking each other out. Um, uh, Tommy Sykes is, you know, through no fault of his own, uh, all kinds of pro- people taking him out, bike blowing up, etc. But seriously, if you go watch the actual racing action, it's phenomenal. It, it's nice. It's it's a good tight battle. Um, watching Shaky some on some of these races has been great because he gets shit for starts. Um, you know, he's been back as far as like twelfth place, and uh, you know, and ends up working his way through the field and winning by by a decent margin. So now, why do I think he's you know maybe not uh, he's the best rider? Well, because of that. Now, is he on the best bike? I'm gonna say. Yes and no. I mean, the Ducati appears to be a you know a, a solid machine. Uh, they even threw some weight at it, and it didn't really make a difference. But if you look at his teammate Leon Camier, uh, Camier has finished well, but he has by no means dominated along. You'd think if this was such a dominant bike that Camier, who by all accounts is a huge talent, uh, that he would be up there with with Shaky to to be dominating. But that's not been the case. Um, funny thing along the way here is that just like in the World Superbike Series, which I want to touch on here in a couple of minutes, and the British Superbike Series, the Hondas look damn good. I mean, they look very, very competitive. Uh, Crutchlow's won races. Uh, uh, Haslam has uh, has been up there, you know, on the podium multi- on multiple occasions. A very quick bike. Um, you know, overall, just like in... Uh, in World Superbike, the Suzukis appear to be the fastest bikes in a straight line, uh, but the Hondas seem to have the best combination of uh, of handling and top speed. If you watch, uh, if you've watched any of the World Superbike series this year, you'll see that the All Star bikes, straight line, get them on any kind of straight, boom, they've got a ton of motor, uh, but maybe just not the the turn in that the Hondas do, and the Hondas have been able to use that to their advantage. The Ducatis. Uh, by no means dominant in World Superbike, um, you know. We, we again, we've seen that. Uh, we saw that at uh, at Mello this past weekend. But again, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. But uh, I, I just want to say that go check out the British Superbike series. I've had um, a number of the uh, of the British guys say, you know, hey, we we appreciate you talking about uh, the series and covering it. Who've who've sent me emails. I've even had. Uh, a couple Aussies and uh, a number of the Americans saying, "Hey, that's cool. I, I, I'm I'm happy that you're covering the series. It's, you know, just one of those things we don't get to see here in America uh, on TV. Uh, however, thanks to the internet, uh, we can. So that's uh, a great thing. Um, what was Altland Park? That's a race you got to watch. Number one, there was some really good racing going on in that. Tr- that was a that was a fabulous race uh, in both legs. Number two, the track itself, while Looking a little dodgy in a couple spots was very cool, and especially if you look at uh, when they go to some of the onboard shots, um, it has very much of a of a real, you know, the the quote unquote real road course feel where you're racing on the public streets. It has a bit of that feel, and I'm not sure if that's because um, grass and trees seem to be so close to the the track at that at that place or, or what it was, but it was um, it just had a really cool feel to it. So. Um, I like I, I like that track, and it appeared to be a, a good track for racing. So, um, Cadwell Park, though, was the one that I want to see, but they're not racing till the end of the year because I want to see um, you know everyone go over the jump. But uh, that's a whole other issue entirely. By the way, for those of you who listen to the show in the UK, hit me up um, with an email, rumblestripradio@gmail.com. I want to know if any of you have. Uh, you know, TiVo slash DVRs and um, a sling box because uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, see if I can work something out with you where, you know, if I can get the sling box software that I can tap, you know, if you guys record that, um, I can tap into that and download that stuff here. <coughs> Maybe get a little bit better quality than... Um, some of the uh, some I mean the the torrent stuff that I get is it's of good quality, um, but sometimes I just like to see if I could tweak it a little bit differently in uh, in the settings once I were to save it for myself. So um, those of you in the UK, please let me know uh, if you have a, a sling box and a, and a and a TiVo or DVR so that you know it's recording on a hard drive and then have access to that. So rumblestripradio@gmail.com and uh, let me know on that, would you please? Besides the fact, I would uh, sometimes the torrents show up 
late or, you know, I'm like, okay, it's gone on. Some people recorded it. Uh, I don't want to wait the six hours to, till someone uploads it and then, you know, maybe a couple hours to download it. So anyways, um, slingbox.com for those of you who aren't familiar with that product. Very cool product. Uh, what else? Okay. World Superbikes. Troy Bayless is, uh, Runaway Championship has uh, gone from, yes, our runaway to, whoops, this is a little closer than we expected. Not the weekend he was looking for at, at Miller with uh, with a crash and some kind of mechanical gaff. And, again, I'm way behind on a lot of stuff because uh, uh, just of working, especially the last couple of weeks with the piston stuff and then being sick most of this week. Um, one or two days I felt pretty good, and then the rest of it felt like dog crap, so... Uh, but Carlos Checa with the with a double at uh, Miller. I think most people, uh, the general feeling I got was that people enjoyed the, enjoyed the track, enjoyed the venue. Although, uh, message to Jack Bernicle, Utah is not in the American Midwest. Uh, Utah is in the West. Uh, I believe uh, if Salt Lake City, you're probably eight-hour drive from the Pacific Ocean, so that's nowhere near what I'd call the Midwest. And I'm pretty sure you're more than 90 miles away from the Bonneville Salt Flats. So just a couple minor things that uh, uh, I, I would have expected them to be a little better prepared on. But it, it was funny. And I don't know if those guys, because those guys have been doing more British stuff than World Superbike stuff. But just they didn't seem to be as on their game for World Superbikes as they have been for the British. I mean, those guys in the British series are just on their game with uh, Jack and Jamie. And the World Superbike, uh, I'm not sure. Just be just missing that little bit on this event. Maybe if they're uh, less conflicting rounds here coming forward and they're just getting the swing of it a little better. So, um, I forgot to write this down, but I, I was told by a number of people that uh, for those uh, of us in the U.S. who watched that live on uh, on the Speed Channel, you got Ralph and Freddie. Oh, God, do I feel sorry for you. I did not watch it live. Uh, I, I was off Sunday, but I think I was catching up on a lot of stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but when I heard some of the chatter that Ralph and Freddie had done the World Superbike races, I was like, sucks to be you. Oh, God, those guys are bad enough doing the AMA series, let alone a series they don't cover. Yeah. Again, let me know. Send me some feedback. I mean, I've read it on the, uh, on the, on the one of the Aprilia boards and one of the, uh, the Weira boards, some of their opinions on that. But, uh, just kind of curious of, of what your guys' reaction was for those of you who watched here in the U.S., Oh, um, but uh, overall, the uh, World Superbike stuff, uh, you know, it's it's been looking pretty good. Haga, I mean, I mean, come on, major props to Haga. Busted collarbone, riding pretty well. Crashed out in race one, but finishing fifth in uh, in race two, riding with a busted collarbone. Uh, I don't know if any of you have had a busted collarbone. Uh, uh, Man, uh, major props to him for doing that. I don't know how he did that. Uh, but he uh, he saw Dr. Ting on Monday and, and had that all screwed together. So he'll be back. Uh, and amazingly, that's the first bones that Hogg has broke ever in his life. Not just racing, ever. So that's that's pretty incredible. Uh, but the Hondas are looking good. Tenkata, you know, way back after in, in before the beginning of the season, I said, you know, they got their bikes late. They're going to struggle the first couple rounds, uh, but you know after Phillip Island, when they have some time to get back to the shop and build a proper motor for those things, look out the Tenkatas. Uh, you know Tenkata will be back up in the front, and, and and we've seen that every race they've looked stronger and stronger. Obviously, uh, Carlos, uh, you know, with the whole the whole thing at uh, Valencia earlier in the year, uh, but uh, you know taking the double here, Tenkata back on top. Uh, uh, Kianari has looked uh, strong of late. He's sort of, you know, getting in there. Safagalu, um, he's learning. So, you know, and, and uh, yeah. So the question I have is, um, World Superbike Hondas are doing very well. British Superbike Hondas are doing very well. Even in AMA Superstock, the Hondas are doing well. Uh, you know, Jake Holden's won two races now, I believe. Why is it in Superbike that the American Hondas are sucking donkey balls? Seriously, uh, there's a there's uh, two interviews with Ronald Tenkata uh, that are that were up this week. One on Road Racer X, one on uh, Dean's World, and they cover a lot of the same stuff. 
but I think it was the one on Dean's World where they talked about uh, there actually is some sharing of information that goes back and forth uh, between the American Honda team uh, and Tenkata. So that that's really a head scratcher. If they're sharing information, why is the American Honda team that far off the pace? Okay, granted, American Suzuki, as we've talked about, same essential team for, you know, eight to ten years. It's a cohesive group. They haven't been in and out of the series like everybody else. You know, Honda, yeah, it was HRC, but then now it's in-house. You know, they were up front, and then now they're not. Once the, uh, once they, they, they walked away from HRC and decided to build out in-house, they've never been competitive. Yamaha was in, they're out, they're back in. Kawasaki, they're, they're in, they're out, they're in, you know. Uh, Ducati, well, they're just not there. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, Neil Hodgson is a world superbike champion. Say what you want that that was the cherry picking years or not. I don't give a shit. He still won the world superbike championship. He's a fast rider. He's you know very competitive rider. Miguel, yeah. Well, we're not going to get into the whole Miguel past his prime rant again, but still. Uh, he's a good enough rider, <clears throat> even past his prime, that he should be doing better than he is. So I don't get it. Do not get that at all. The uh, the last thing, which is going to segue into uh, more more goodness on the DMG, uh, I believe Dean asked him what uh, what his opinion was, uh, what Ronald Tenkata's opinion was on the the rule changes for America. And basically he said, uh, and this is an exact quote, and I'm going to paraphrase, you know, go check out Dean's World for the for the specific quote. Um, but it was like, I, I don't get it. It makes no sense. And, you know, and he went on to say a number of things. It's, you know, this isn't like car racing where you can legislate closeness of racing. It just, not at that level. It just, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you know, those guys have been racing motorcycles for, what, 12 or 15 years now. Um, they they have a clue. They're very very good at what they do, and have been for a very long time. I mean, even going back to man ten years ago, I think um, we started noticing them because uh, I I remember back when um, was doing stuff with Chris Martin and WorldSuperbikes.com and um, ten Kata guys were com- coming into Super Sport and uh, that was ninety ninety eight ninety nine yeah so. When they're, I'm sorry, coming into Supersport. Yeah, if, if that's not what I said, I'm sorry. Um, but they were beginning to make some noise back there as a privateer team <clears throat> that, you know, built a, a tremendous bike. And, you know, we've seen that uh, evolve now uh, over the last decade. So these guys know what they're talking about. So I just, it was very funny is that not only, um, you know, we're seeing reaction from, from overseas and from the U.S. I mean, Toby Moody emailed me several weeks ago saying uh this this rules package is this, is this as bad as i you know is this as bad as they say and i said yeah it's not only as bad as they say it's worse than they say it's worse than you think it is um you know and i i outlined three or four things why it made zero sense to me why i thought it was bad decisions and um toby is friends with uh with chaz davies and i said i'm sure you can get a uh, more of the inside scoop and a, and a better line from chaz but this is this is not going to end well. And he also asked me about uh, uh, possible manufacturers breakaway series, and I said I wouldn't. I would say it's probably about sixty-five percent happening, and and I still feel that way. Uh, it may take a year of the DMG, you know, running with the DMG for that to happen, um, but everything is there to for that to easily roll, you know, to be a non-issue for that to happen for you know the manufacturers to break away. So. Let's um, let's talk a little bit more about this. The somewhat surprising first thing I saw on the, on the whole people starting to speak up on this was uh, right before Barber, I believe it was, in the Birmingham paper, uh, Josh Hayes came out and said um, he had some issues with with the rule changes, which is a bit surprising in this level. Uh, Josh is not Josh will let you know what he thinks, but it's usually and off the record, um, he knows how to play the Honda game in that you don't necessarily say bad things to the to the spoon that's giving you your food, right? Um, and Honda's not much for the controversy. So when Josh came out and said the things he said, um, you have to put uh, 
you ha- you have to turn up the volume a little bit in in that uh, it may not sound bad in, if you just read the written words, but if you understand how much that's raised versus what you'd expect, you know that's that's like cranking up to nine. It wasn't quite an eleven, but it was certainly an eight or nine. I was, so I was like, wow, that's that's pretty shocking that Josh came out that strong, and and I, and I consider that a very strong statements. For Josh being a Honda rider, um, and not saying that if he was right wasn't riding for you know back when he was riding with Kawasaki or um, or Suzuki that he was he just Josh is pretty measured on that stuff. He's pretty pretty level on on a lot of stuff. So when he comes out and says stuff like that, he's he's feeling it. Um, I got a big kick out of the stuff from Matt Maladin at Sears Point. <clears throat> um, I believe. It was on roadracingworld.com. You'll have to go back to just after the Sears Point race uh, that John put a couple pieces, a link to a couple pieces of audio up. And I'm, I didn't have a chance to go back and look at to make sure that this is where it was. But memory is telling me that this is where I got it from, was from John's World. Um, there is about a 20, 22-minute piece of audio, which is an interview with Colin Frazier. And Colin Frazier, as most of you know, is becoming sort of the the at the track person, director of competition type of thing for for the DMG. And I'm not sure who the person was who was the sort of the lead announcer for the track that weekend, but it was between him and Rich Oliver, they did this interview. Now, I hate to call it an interview because it really wasn't an interview uh, with Colin. Now, in the journalistic world, uh, media world, I guess would be a better way. We have a, a a a term which we use when you you do a piece uh in which you try to give someone uh, uh over you know uh to to make them look good. Okay. Maybe maybe sometimes even go over the top. So for example, uh some of the stuff I've done with Power TV is basically some of these companies have paid to kind of shoot a commercial essentially it doesn't maybe look like a traditional commercial but more like an infomercial type of thing um, and when you're trying to make the product and, and the company look good um, we call that we literally call that a blowjob <clears throat> not joking that's what it's called it's like uh, you know so we're doing you know so so and so this this okay so we're basically trying to do like the usual blowjob on this thing and then it's like yep okay so pretty much this was a 22 minute blowjob for the DMG. Anytime they asked a question that started out as, uh, or, or you know, you've, you, you may ask a question of um, that something didn't make sense, they'd start to ask it of like, well, here's a problem, blah, 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 blah. But of course that, you know, and then the, but the end of the question would be a total blowjob, you know, tee up for, for, you know, Barry Bonds out in the, you know, send it out into McCovey Cove type of shot. Um, it was, if you have any kind of critical thinking skills or if you're not a, you know, 100% on the DMG, uh, bandwagon on this thing, if you listen to it, you'll, you'll see that this was basically someone handed these guys a list of questions, you know, the DMG wrote a list of questions to ask and then had these guys do it. Seriously, that's exactly what it sounded like. It was horribly embarrassing at least from from my mind but obviously everyone knows my opinion on this and thank uh, thank you for all the emails that uh, again that have come in in the last month saying you know you're right on or thanks for speaking out so much appreciated on that um so i found it quite funny reading all the reaction and and reading some of the transcripts of matt maladin at sears point uh you know even coming out and saying because he must have heard this <clears throat> heard some of this stuff too it's like you know, uh, I hear uh, I hear all this stuff and all this garbage coming over about how great the DMG is going to be and, you know, how great this is going to be next year. But um, you guys need to speak up if you want to see the best riders on the best bikes racing because uh, that's not what you're going to get next year. I mean, Maladin just came out and hammered the shit out of these people. And when, the you know, whoever's trying to lasso them back in, both at the in the winner's circle and in the press conference afterwards, well, what? And he's like, yeah, 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 fine, whatever. Racing was great. Congratulations to Ben, blah, blah, blah. So back to my point that I'm trying to make here. I mean, he would not let up. And I just, 
you know, that's one of those things that I love about Maladin. He's he's got his mind set on something. He's going to speak his mind because that's just the way he is, and that's the way he's been for you know basically since he's come to the U.S. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that yes, he wants to race here for another couple years, couple two, three, four years. He's making great money. He's very competitive. <coughs> Problems with <coughs> Miller <coughs> aside. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. He's racing because he wants to race. He doesn't need to race. Uh, he may need to race to fulfill. He may need to race to fulfill some sort of um, inner competition that he has. But it's not like he needs the paycheck. Okay, he's made a, a shit ton of money, uh, invested it well, set up himself with some businesses back home. You know, if he walks away from racing tomorrow, he's set where he you know, quote-unquote, never has to work another day in his life, even though that he would work at running his businesses. But you get my point, right? He's invested his money wisely. So if he hasn't raced next year, I'm not going to say he's okay with that, but, you know, he's he's got nothing to lose at this point. So for him to speak his mind is, is great. I think we really need that. You need that contrast. So... Josh and, uh, and 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 Matt are both out there. There's a couple other people saying, you know, pipping up a little bit here, saying, eh, got some questions. Then on the other side, um, apparently the DMG rushed some emergency meds in. That you know they they raided Daryl Waltrip's uh, emergency stash and and got an IV, the intravenous, you know, IV is intravenous, I guess, uh, into Eric Bostrom because Eric came out and said it was all peace, love, and happiness, and the DMG was, you know. The, the greatest thing in the world and that, you know, not only is the DMG going to solve all the problems with the AMA, uh, but that it's going to cure cancer and bring peace to the Mideast. Okay, it wasn't quite that bad, but um, it, it was something pretty close to that. So, I, like I said, someone jammed the needle into Eric for, for that. Now, maybe he believes that. Maybe he's just trying to play a line and, and play it safe. I, I don't know. But for a guy who's fought to ride superbikes his entire life, I find it quite odd that he's taking that position. It just something doesn't make sense. Um, you know, uh, Jamie Hacking, I'm sure is. I'm waiting for I'm I'm waiting for some good sound bites from Jamie because here's another guy who thought he was done racing 600s. Loves racing 600s, but here's a guy who wants to race superbikes. Why? Because that's what he's worked his entire life to do ride superbikes, and he's doing it quite well. As you might uh, remember, I predicted him to do quite well and be very competitive in the championship this year, and so much he is, you know, especially the last, uh, last weekend at Miller. Um, so I, I'm waiting for more stuff to happen. Everyone's racing at uh, um, Road America this weekend, and it's sort of a preview because it's a combined Moto ST and NAMA weekend, and it's weather and all kinds of crap going on up there it's some pretty nasty weather around here the last couple days so even even down here we got uh lightning and tornadoes that uh, kind of rained us out at Milan last night about uh, just as we were getting into some of the stuff but i know you guys don't care about Milan, so um so i'm interested to see i'm going to be interested to hear how the reaction was for the you know sort of the test of the combined action there of the two series because well that's what we're going to get next year right now, uh, some more of the uh, rules have, have, have come out and become clear, um, and then one or two other things that have come out that, that we need to touch on as well. Number one, uh, the DMG came out, and, and, and I think, you know, it's one of those things, they're, 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 the people working at the DMG, they're not dumb, okay? There's some very smart people there. They, under, they, they completely understand what they're trying to do. Uh, I think they understand what they're against, and they understand the groundswell that's coming. So that's why I'm saying you may scratch a head and it. How, how could you be so stupid to come up with this? But they have their own version. They're going to stick to it, whatever. Uh, but they're not so dumb as to say that, hmm, how can we silence all these people? Because you hear people like Josh and Maladin and a few other riders pipping up, getting some noise from overseas, even going, what the hell are you guys doing over here? So what do they do to shut everybody up? Well, they do what? what Daytona is very good at doing. They throw money at the problem. 
are very good at throwing money at a problem. So what do they do? Well, guess what? If you win Daytona Superbikes, it's fifty grand to win. Can you imagine that? Fifty thousand dollars to win. That's tremendous. And it is because if you were to win every single race in the AMA season in a superbike, double headers, Daytona, blah, 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 just in prize money, I don't think it all adds up to fifty grand. Or if it does, it's just over fifty grand. Uh, Mr. Ulrich, if you could do that computation for me, uh, it'd be much appreciated. Um, but then second through twentieth spot, it's five thousand bucks. Now, five thousand bucks is one of those amounts of money in racing that it's a lot of money and it's a not it's not a lot of money. If you're a privateer racing, you know, out of your van or whatever, or you know, you got a truck in a in a twenty foot hallmark that behind you with your bike and your uh, uh, your uh, uh, tent that pop up. Uh, you know why what I'm talking about the caravans and the. Uh, I can't think of. I'm sorry. Like I said, I'm a little out of it a little bit. You guys get the idea. But your typical privateers, AMA superbike privateer, running in 15th to 20th spot, right? Not not always a huge operation. So for those guys to get five grand, that's a decent chunk of change for those guys. Um, it may not pay for it but if you could finish okay let's say there's 18 19 eight, we'll do the math make the math easy so two races except daytona a couple another one off we'll just say there's 18 rounds now uh, we'll call it 20 rounds because it makes the math easy and my head is clogged up as it is so that's like a hundred thousand dollars right uh yeah that'd be like a hundred so let's just say you finish 20th in all 20 rounds that's a hundred grand um you could probably pay for your year of racing at that. I, would you make any money on that? I don't know. And understand, especially with you know gas and diesel being where the price is what they are. Yes, Europe, I know. You guys in Australia, you guys are paying like ridiculous chunks of change for cash. But understand, in America, we haven't seen these prices adjusted for inflation since uh, the late 70s. And I think it's even above that. So... You know, in the late 70s, we had gas spike up because of the Arab oil crisis and stuff, and we actually had rationing. We don't have any rationing. You can get all the gas you want. Uh, it's just that it's it's, it's it's expensive. So, But adjusted for inflation, we might be just a tick over where we were in the late 70s. And yes, I am, unfortunately, old enough to remember some of that stuff as a kid. And yes, I do remember lines and people putting locking gas caps in their cars because people would literally, in the middle of the night, walk through neighborhoods, take off people's gas caps and siphon gas out of their cars. That's how bad it was with the rationing. And, and literally, you go to the gas station and say, there'd be someone there. You get three gallons of gas today, and that's it. So um, so transportation costs are really expensive, and you know everything else associated with running an entire series. It's expensive. I mean, look, just when I look back and, and, and some of the math of just club racing on my 125, it was easily – Five, five to seven hundred bucks a weekend, and, and a couple of times probably as much as a thousand dollars to go racing for a weekend. That's club racing, so we're not talking, you know, on a one twenty-five, which is all things considered pretty cheap to, to race. Um, you know, by the time you buy a set of tires and your gas, um, you know, if you stay at a hotel or okay, that adds. If you stay at the track, you know, maybe not so much, but then maybe you bought a toy hauler or something so that you could uh, stay at the track. You know, understand that's this is all stuff that goes in. So. 100,000 sounds really good. Um, but here's a couple problems with that. Um, number one, second place to 20th place, it's the same. How very socialistic of you, NASCAR. Seriously, that's very. So it doesn't matter if you finish second or 20th, it's the same amount of money. What's up with that? Um, also, understand that if you're a factory rider, uh, factory riders will know this. Um, maybe some of the general public might not be aware of this, but typically if you're a factory rider under contract getting a salary, whatever prize money there is, you'll get about 40% of that. That's just a typical payout, and then the rest comes to the um, to the team. So uh, I have a problem with second through 20th, same money, please. Uh, we've talked about also how the DMG is talking about, well, you know, we sort of don't want the heavy factory involvement. We want all these privateer, blah, blah, blah. So here's the question I have, and I, and I might have said this before, and if I'm repeating myself, I, I apologize, but I think this is an important point. The factories fund 80% of the money that's in the paddock right now combined with, you know, privateers and 
even even some of the privateer stuff there's contingency money and, and et cetera in there um, or support money for the teams where's this money coming from if you push the factories out where's this money coming from uh, the AMA is not overwhelmed and not in and outside the industry sponsorship and if you piss off the factories I think a lot of the sec- secondary and tertiary kind of support programs in there with parts and stuff, I'm not saying it's drying up because those guys are going to whatever exposure they can get, but it's not going to be quite maybe the level that it is now. So where does all this money come from? I have a theory. Um, and again, this theory comes from how NASCAR deals with Grand Am, or as we love to call it, the Grand Sham Series. What NASCAR has done is a lot of the company, and, and, and I want you to go and, and pay attention to this and, and look at it. Pick up, the, pick up the blanket and look underneath, and, and you'll find out this to be true. A lot of the teams that have bigger sponsorship um, in Grand Am, and whether it's the, you know, the Daytona prototype, Daytona prototype, Daytona super, anyway, sorry, uh, you know, the prototype class or some of the other classes, their sponsorship, unless they're like Brumos, which is, you know, big Porsche dealership or whatever, um, comes from NASCAR money. So what NASCAR does is, um, and, and this is, I'm just going to use this as an example because it's really easy. Mobile One, you'd like to be the official oil of NASCAR. No problem. We'll be happy to have you. Here's what it's going to cost you. We need $2 million in a fee to be the official oil of NASCAR. We need you to... Uh, spend another $2 million in marketing the fact that you're the official oil of NASCAR. And you also need to throw in $750,000 on top of that to support the Grand Am Series, whether through a couple of teams uh, or through event sponsorship. So the evolution of that is... um, not only do we need you to do Grand Am, maybe we not so much Grand Am, but you know what? We're going to have you sponsor this team or be you know a, a secondary sponsor of this team in uh, in our super in our motorcycle series. So basically, they're going to blackmail people into kicking sponsorship money, and that's the only way that I can see it. Really, it's the only way I can see that happening. Now, there are, you know people like uh, uh, the the Corona Honda team. Yes, Corona's giving them a decent chunk of change to be there, but not the amount of money you think it is. They're they're not. It's not like Corona scratching seven figures over there. Okay, they're not. Um, they're getting some decent money from Honda and spot you know help from them. But um, I'm sure it's several hundred thousand dollars. But it's not quite the money you think it is. Now understand, to run a super sport and Formula Extreme team costs in excess of half a million dollars for a year. If you want to run a top level. Formula Extreme and Super Sport team, you know, combined run today. So whatever that evolves into going forward, minimum half a million dollars to be competitive. Minimum. So if we look at two riders and they finish second to 20th spot in every race, you know, at five grand a pop, $200,000, you take 40% of that, that's what, uh, I'm sorry, 60% of 200000 that's $120,000. You still have to make up, you know, $380,000 minimum. So we'll call it $400,000. That's a lot of cash. Um, and if the manufacturers pull out, all of a sudden you're not getting, for like, say, four free motorcycles and maybe two or three spare engines and a bunch of other parts. You understand how this stuff adds up. You understand the mathematics and the financing of all this stuff. So uh, major issue with that. Now we come to the leader bikes. Leader bikes we're going to pay money to. In fact, we're going to pay you know like five grand to win in leader bike. However, leader bike is going to be a little funny because we're going to say you get five grand to win. However, if the manufacturer just happens to offer some contingency, let's say the manufacturer you race uh, 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 Yamaha and a Yamaha wins, and Yamaha says, well, if you win an AMA Superbike, um, that's three thousand dollars in contingency. We're only going to give you two thousand. You get the other three thousand from Yamaha. There you go, five thousand dollars. So what I would absolutely love to see, just as an FU to the DMG, is the manufacturers to offer all this contingency they normally do for club racing and stuff like this. However, for leader bikes, they offer no contingency. I'd love to see it so that they make the DMG pay out full cash. That would be 
primo outstanding. Now, a couple of the things, the rules have come out a little more and a little more. Please help me with a couple of things here. So for Daytona Superbikes, and I guess a lot of you love the fact that I make it Daytona Superbikes, um, there are a couple interesting, I'm going to say three very interesting choices that are available for you to race in Daytona Superbikes. Number one, you can race a Buell 1125R. Hmm. V-twin, 100. 25, 30 horsepower, well, you know, 140 horsepower limit, but big V-twin, interesting. By the way, the Buell 1125R, also eligible to race in leader bike. Huh? That doesn't exactly make a lot of sense to me, does it to you? That I can have, I'm trying to create two classes that are distinct from each other, and I'm sort of trying to push one class out of the way. <coughs> even though I can at this moment, but I'm going to allow one bike to race in two classes. Hmm. Maybe some money from Milwaukee coming in here somewhere underneath the table. Hmm. Funny thing. Couldn't be. That would never happen. So, who's another manufacturer who's been very vocal in, in not liking our rules? Uh, well, let's see. Suzuki. What can we do for Suzuki here? To maybe to get them to Quiet down a little bit. Uh, Daytona Superbikes, what can we do for Suzuki? Well, you know, they're, they're, they're 600s. They just haven't been there the last few years. They, they seem to put more emphasis on their on the thousands and win the Superbike Championship. I guess they don't see the, the value of the 600. Ah, here's what we'll do. The GSXR 750 is eligible for Daytona Superbikes. Now, if that doesn't throw up a 100-foot in-neon WTF sign I don't know what does. Seriously, you're going to let a GSXR 750 race in your Daytona Superbike, which is supposed to be a middleweight class. And you're also going to let an MV uh, Augusta Brutale 910S ride in there too. Inline for 750cc, inline for 910cc against inline 600s. Now, granted, we're all limited in horsepower, and we have this minimum 360-pound uh, 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 weight, and we've got this, you know, uh, three pounds per horsepower thing going on or whatever, so that at 140 horsepower, if you max that out, you weigh 420 pounds. So here's the thing. Under normal circumstances, you say, well, I'd want a lighter bike. Uh, I want the lightest bike I can because it's going to be able to handle better. It's going to be able to be able to brake better. If I'm thinking this through a little bit and, and taking on some of the things that I've learned from watching the Canadian series over these past few years when they've been horsepower limited, I think I'm willing to pay the weight penalty, even though that's a pretty substantial weight penalty and, and have the heaviest bike out there and race a GSX-R750. Why? Because building 140 horsepower in a GSX-R750 is going to be gravy. Seriously. I mean, it's like, please. You know, Ozzy Guillen, please. Um but what you're going to see and how this is going to be tweaked and why I think you have an advantage, especially in an American-style tracks where it's a lot of stop-start stuff, very abrupt, you know, brake hard, slow down, you know, crank the gas on type of thing, is you're going to be able to design a motor, uh, a motor package where 140 horsepower, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll just throw 135 at it be good. But what we're going to have is this massive torque curve that's going to be as flat as Kansas. So what I'm going to be able to do is, even though that this bike will maybe stop a little better and be able to turn in a little better, I'm going to be able to get my rider into the corner, and he's going to be able to wail on the gas. And while this guy's spinning it to 19,000 RPM, okay, 14.5, but still, um, my guy on the GSX-R750 is going to have this huge torque curve. It's going to look like a Ducati torque coming out of a curve and just be able to drive off the curve. So while these guys are making the horsepower but having to spin the shit out of the motors, the GSX-R750 and maybe to an extent the the uh, the, Brute the the MV Agustas are going to be able to build this huge torque curve that's just going to be able to drive them out of a corner and walk away. And the fact that they'll have the power then to maintain that advantage on the straightaway. So the only thing you're going to see is a 600s having to go deep in the brakes, block them in the turns, but still even then 
the 750 and the 910 should have the torque to be able to walk away out of a corner. So please explain to me how this makes sense, other than trying to shut Suzuki up and maybe get Ferracci back into the uh, in the paddock. So uh, more concerned with shutting Suzuki up against, you know, banging on the DMG and trying to get away. But seriously, if you're a privateer and you want to race Daytona Superbike and you saw a GSX-R750 there, you have to be laughing your ass off. Now, will you have a chance of winning a race? Fuck no. Sorry. Just flat out. You have a chance of winning a race as a privateer in this class? Sure. If Josh Hayes and Jake Zemke are racing in World Superbike next year, which strong possibilities... Matt Maladin decides not to show up. Jamie Hacking, Roger Hayden, Tommy Hayden. You know, a lot of these guys, uh, if they decide not to race, you have a shot. Otherwise, you're looking at, you know, legit top 10, which isn't bad. Uh, and you get your five grand. And, you know, maybe get a little pub or something up there, but still. Your chances to win are the same as they are now. Like, you know, slim and none. Sorry. I hate to be the uh, bearer of bad news, but that's just the way it is. The guys that win are there not only because they're on the best equipment, but they're the best riders on the best equipment. End of story. Even Miguel Duhamel. Um, But still, that's just mind-blowingly dumb, crazy. I don't get it. GSX-R750 in your middleweight class Daytona Superbikes. I don't get it. Uh, I think I'm going to have to get... uh, Unfortunately, I'm not going to get a chance to get to uh, to an AMA race until mid-Ohio, which sucks because there's a couple people in the paddock who I know are good motor builders. I'd love to talk to about that and, and, and throw this theory at them. Like, would you rather take the weight penalty, have this bike, and be able to, like, tweak cams and, and stuff to to have, like, this huge broad spectrum of, of power? Tell, tell me this doesn't make sense. Um but I know, uh, let's see, I know there's a couple people from the attack team that listen to the show, uh, maybe the Matsushima team. So if you guys are listening in again, um, drop me an email, rumblestripradio at gmail.com. Let me know how whacked I am on this one, but uh, trust me, I, 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 I think I'm on the right path on this one. So let me know. Um, last thing here. Sorry, I just looking, actually wrote some notes down, which I didn't do for the show I recorded on Thursday, but essentially I think I've covered most of the same stuff. I don't think I ran it as hard against the DMG, but I think I made my points a little clearer, so in the end it all works out. Um, sad news out of Australia, all of you have seen. Anthony Gobert, yeah, there's even it's even on YouTube now, him coming out of court. It's bad scene, so what a waste of talent. So, And it's, it's too bad because he's a great guy, just... Somewhere along the lines, he lost it, and yeah, so don't want to end on that note, but just had to make mention of it. Um, one of the things, unless something really funky happens, we're staying on this DMG bandwagon, and we're going to beat this dead horse well into the ground. Um, if you guys have had enough of it, let me know. If you guys want to keep me harping on it, I'm more than happy to, and, and point out all the stuff. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'd love to. Um, it's not that I want to see these things, this guy, these guys fail. Well, in, in some ways I do. Um, it's just that I think this is, uh, everyone else sees NASCAR money and thinks it's the savior and I see disaster. And here's why. Look at Grand Am, look at ALMS, look at the directions they've taken. ALMS has their own issues. Okay. They do. But if you look at LMS versus Grand Am and you go to any sports car snob and you say Grand Am, LMS, 98% of them are going to say LMS. Why? It's just because the people who are racing this series understand sports car road racing and the people who run Grand Am are trying to NASCARize it. And by the way, if you weren't aware of this, it came out in a little press release about a week and a half ago, the Grand Am series is now an official part of the NASCAR family. It, in fact, it will be branded uh, with NASCAR logos and stuff like this. So if you don't think that that's the direction that the motorcycle road racing series will be in a couple of years, if the DMG keeps running it the way they is, that it won't be somehow branded with a, you know, a little nice little NASCAR brand along with an AMA logo, you, um, you need to put down the bourbon, okay? Um... So, like I said, just 
you got two different trains of thought, and and I and I'm not trying to be some kind of road race elitist thing here. Uh, yes, NASCAR money is great, but the mindset is incredible. I'd love to have the money, sure, but the mindset that they bring to it doesn't jive. Okay, it it just yeesh. square peg round hole type of issue. Okay, that's that's literally, or or you know maybe NASCAR would be round and road racing would be. I don't know, nine-pointed star or whatever, because, you know, we actually turn left and right and, you know, have changes in direction where NASCAR is just a circle, right? There we go. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, um, let me know, as I said, feedback, radio at gmail.com. Uh, I do want to apologize for, uh, once again, for the length of time in between shows. Uh, for those of you who downloaded the, the sh- you know, episode 79, take A, I guess we're going to call it, and uh, nothing there, I do apologize. Uh, hopefully this will make up for it. We are going to be a little bit more regular. My travel schedule is uh, much reduced now. The Pistons are out of the series, so you know, 18 hours a day isn't soaked up uh, working for ABC and ESPN, somewhat unfortunately, because that was some damn good money. Um, for my friends up in Canada, I will be uh, announcing at Mossport again this year. That is confirmed. Uh, whether I'll be in turn two or turn five announcing, I don't know. It sort of depends on uh, Frank Woods and whether he's going to be able to announce or not. Uh, but I will be up there. I am 100% confirmed to be announcing up there, and I'm working on doing a couple other races up there as well. Shubenactony, I I don't know how I'd do that, pull that one off. Uh, but I would say count on me doing uh, Shannonville as well, although that's in the that's only in the works at this point. Um, we're going to touch on the Canadian series going forward. Um, I need to get in contact with my people up there just to kind of get a rundown of what's been going on. Um, but Jordan Zoke has kicked off his defense of the Superbike title by winning round one up there at Calabogie. Um, and uh, those of you who were at the Calabogie race, give me uh, give me a shout and, and let me know how that's going or how that event went. I'd, I'd like to know when, how that track actually is. So with that, I am going to wrap up the show and I'll let you know that Rumble Strip Radio is a production of Raul Duke Media LLC and is protected under Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. Please send us email at rumblestripradio at uh, gmail.com, the website. You can visit it over there for all links to show notes, um, you can donate to the site, uh, see the friends uh, who we support over there, and that is at rumblestripradio.com. Don't forget to uh, burn your friends who aren't familiar with you, maybe motorcycle enthusiasts, uh, like motorcycles, like the racing. Uh, burn them a CD, put it on a USB stick, you know, point them in the right direction, subscribe uh, you know, through iTunes uh, or your favorite RSS reader. I see some people subscribing through Zoom, so I think that's cool. Thanks, you guys, for... Uh, getting me on the Zoom store over there. So, with that, uh, outro music this week. Uh, this week uh, is from Jem. It's uh, something from Long Way Round, I believe. So, um, you know, it's just a ride. So, until I talk to you guys again next time, have fun, be good. Most importantly, keep it on two wheels. We'll talk with you soon. Bye bye. Think that you've worked it out there
slowly Except that There's no getting off So live Just gotta go with Take you